From Gimlet Media, this is something else, actually. Hi, guys. I'm Rachel Ward, and I'm coming to you during a week when we wouldn't normally publish because I want to share something kind of special with you. Here at Gimlet, we just launched a new show. It's called Science Versus. And I know it can be very difficult to add another podcast to your listening diet because there's so much good stuff out there. But I think this show is relevant to you as a surprisingly awesome listener. Because what we know about our listeners is that they're people who love learning new stuff, they're curious about the world, and they love being surprised and delighted. And Science Versus is a show that does just that. So how we describe the show is that it pits facts against everything else. So it's basically putting science up against all of the stuff that you argue about at the dinner table. And one of the things that you have probably found yourself arguing about at some point is guns. And I know this is not a light topic, but that is exactly the sort of thing that Science Versus takes on. They just did this two-part series about guns, about whether or not they can help protect you, whether or not gun control actually works, how we can stop guns from killing people. And it's so well done and so interesting that we thought that surprisingly awesome listeners might want to hear it. So here is part of the series, Science Versus Guns, looking at whether or not gun control can stop gun violence. Hi, I'm Wendy Zuckerman, and you're listening to Gimlet Media's Science Versus. This is the show where we pit facts against truthiness. A quick warning before we get started. We'll be discussing homicide and suicide, so please take care when listening to this show. Now, if public health professionals found a lamp with a genie inside, they'd probably make a wish that all the guns could just disappear. But they'd also probably make the sugar disappear and the alcohol disappear and the drugs disappear. But that's magic and a bit boring and definitely not science. So we're not going to talk about genies today or a gunless world. Instead, we're focusing on how gun regulations can actually effectively reduce gun deaths. And that means regulating who can buy them what kind of guns they can buy, and what people are allowed to do with their guns. Okay, let's start with a quick explanation of how people buy guns in America right now. Bob Kastaris, owner of Classic Pistol in Southampton, Pennsylvania, showed Science Versus producer Heather Rogers how to buy a gun. Hi, Heather. I'm Bob. You come in here and sit in the lounge. There's, like, guns on your desk and guns on the floor and guns leaning against the wall. <laughs> That's what we do for a living here. We're a gun shop. We have guns. Laws about what you need to do to buy a gun vary state by state in the United States, but everyone in America who buys a firearm from a licensed dealer has to fill out the same federal form. And it's poetically titled the 4473. Bob showed it to Heather. It's the name, address, social security number, date of birth, the weight, the height, the sex of the person, gender, their race, and then the questions, are you the actual buyer of the firearm listed on this form? Um, have you ever been convicted of a felony or any other crime, which you could have gone to jail for a year or more, even if they put you on probation? Okay, once you've filled out the form, Bob gets in touch with the police who use the FBI system called the National Instant Criminal Background Check System to look for red flags. They run the check for us. They do all the database checking. They come back with an approval number or a denial or research. Research means the police need more time to give an answer. And denied means, surprise, surprise, you're not allowed to get a gun. And why would you be denied? 
Well, because under US federal law, certain people are prohibited from buying guns, like those who have been convicted of a crime and sentenced to more than one year in prison, or those who have been found by a court to be mentally ill. There are other reasons. We're not going to go into all of them here. And there are all kinds of exceptions to this system. The biggest one is that in some states, it's legal to buy a gun through a private sale. Essentially, any random person with no background check at all. But still, this is what America has today. It also has a firearm homicide rate that is 25 times higher than the average for other high-income countries and a suicide rate that is eight times higher. So, when it comes to gun control, there's lots of opinions. And even some songs. But then, there's science. Many people on both sides of the gun debate will tell you how we can fix America's gun laws. Let's get into some of the main ideas. Round number one, better background checks. Round number two, regulating guns and removing certain types of guns from the community. Round number three, requiring guns to be registered just like cars, so that every time guns change hands, the government knows about it. Okay, let's get into it. Round number one, better background checks. If you ask the NRA why there are 10,000 gun homicides in America each year, one thing they'll cite is holes in the FBI's background check system, essentially the system that Bob reaches out to when you buy a gun at his store. Here's NRA CEO Wayne Lapierre. The names of millions of violent felons, criminal gangbangers, and adjudicated mentally incompetent and dangerous people are missing from the background check system. Yes, the current background check system in America is missing the criminal and mental health records of loads of Americans, which means that people who aren't supposed to be buying guns legally at a store can. You know, our criminal justice reporting system is a hodgepodge of 50 state systems feeding into the FBI's NCIC. Mark Jones is a retired special agent for America's Guns Watchdog, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives. And by the way, the NCIC is the FBI's criminal record system. So what, what happens in NCIC is that there are often arrest records make it in very well. Conviction records are more spotty, typically. And this is partly because getting states and government agencies to put records into the background check system is voluntary. So some states just don't do it that well. So what would happen if we fixed this and had all the records on every person who fell into a prohibited category? Would it make a difference? Yes. One study analysing a number of things related to background checks, including record keeping, found that states with the worst background check system tended to have the highest gun homicide rate. And they wrote that this was, quote, a clear and consistent negative association, end quote. But still, there is a limit to how far these background checks can go. Because the majority of criminals don't get their guns from licensed dealers like Bob. So these criminals won't be going through a background check system. 
A survey of around 1,400 inmates in prison for a crime involving a gun found that 77% of them got guns on the street or through family and friends, and only 11% of them bought a gun through a licensed dealer. Plus, remember that in many US states, you can buy a gun in a private sale without any background check at all. Here's Mark Jones again. We know that a lot of criminals are getting guns through transactions that don't have any scrutiny on them. To me, that's a real problem. Another problem with focusing on fixing background check reporting is that many would-be criminals would pass a background check when they bought their gun. That is, they were good guys in the government's eyes up until they used a gun in crime. A paper published last year summarising the available evidence found that, quote, roughly half or more of those who commit gun crimes do not meet any of the prohibiting conditions under federal law, end quote. Plus, two-thirds of gun deaths in America are suicides. And while we couldn't find any specific studies on the topic, one expert that we spoke to said that most suicides would not be prevented through better record-keeping in the background checks. Conclusion. Better records could help reduce gun deaths. We can't tell you by what percentage because we don't live in an alternate reality with perfect record-keeping. But... Since the majority of criminals don't get their guns in a place where they would need to get a background check, and 50% of gun criminals would have passed a background check anyway because they were good guys when they went to buy their guns, it seems that lots of people would be slipping through the cracks. What if we added new information to the database? Another big idea that people have about making background checks better involves including more information in them, specifically more information about people's mental health. Because ultimately, they believe that if we do this, we can find the people who are going to be violent and stop them from getting a gun. And this idea tends to come up a lot around mass shootings. There's a common theme you see with many of these mass shootings, and that is the key theme of mental illness. I'm very concerned about the mental health side of this. A lot of it is this mental illness. People are going to slip through the cracks. They're mentally ill. There's a huge mental illness problem. So is going after mental illness a good strategy to prevent gun crime? Well, one study of 88 mass shooters found that, quote, the overall prevalence of severe mental illness is low, end quote. And away from mass shootings? One study from Sweden found that 95% of all violent crimes were carried out by people who never had a known severe mental illness. 95%. And you can take these figures in two ways. Perhaps a lot of killers are actually sane. Or perhaps these people actually had a mental illness that meant that they were prone to violence and the system didn't recognise them. They weren't diagnosed. Say we run with argument number two. If we had better, the best mental health care, could mental health professionals predict who is going to be violent and then stop them from buying a gun? Philip Alpers, a public health associate professor at the University of Sydney, says no. He says that doctors... They can look at almost all of their patients and not be at all sure what any of them's going to be doing uh, sometime in the future. And that's because they don't know, and nor do we know. Nobody knows reliably 
who is going to commit gun violence, and if we did know, the problem would be solved. Philip pointed out that while there are a few mental illnesses that do make people more likely to be violent... The best mental health professionals, the forensic psychiatrists, the people who interview killers after they've been caught, these are the people who will tell you that their chances of predicting future dangerousness, even in a patient who's uh, totally at their disposal and willing to be interviewed, is not much better than flipping a coin. Conclusion. Even with a beefed-up background check system on the lookout for people about to become violent, we just can't catch them all. Pokemon! So, round two. Buying guns back from the community. I recently saw a tweet from Harlem's NYPD Blue. Oh, you just say NYPD, don't you? Okay, just saw a tweet from Harlem's NYPD at the 34th Precinct, and I was intrigued. It read, Need cash? Turn in an operable handgun. All in caps lock. No questions asked. Tomorrow. No questions asked? I had some questions. Is that recording? That, uh, no. Um, yes, of course it is. Are we not allowed? Is it on? Um, it is on. It's on? It is on. Police officers wouldn't let me go inside or ask them any questions, so I didn't know how many guns got turned in. But then, on the way home, I saw another tweet. Feel a little safer today? Question mark. 81 guns off our street, turned in anonymously at our gun, dollar sign, dollar sign, buyback event. Hashtag, one less gun. The thing is, we probably shouldn't feel too much safer. These small buybacks haven't been shown by science to be effective. For example, after tracking five years of these sorts of gun buybacks carried out by the local police in Buffalo, New York, researchers concluded that the buybacks did not significantly reduce homicides. The researchers noted that most other evaluations of buybacks in other parts of the United States have found the same thing. They ultimately concluded, quote, Gun buyback programs appear to satisfy a local administrator's need for instant solutions to a problem despite a lack of evidence demonstrating effectiveness. End quote. And sick burn. So, when I saw that tweet, I thought to myself, 81 guns off the street? That's not a buyback. This is a buyback. You're hearing the sounds of guns being crushed in the biggest buyback program that the world has ever seen. After the break, the NRA's biggest fear. What happened when Australia took away hundreds of thousands of guns from the public? Hey, it's Rachel again. Thank you so much for listening to this little snippet of Science Versus. If you want to hear the rest, you can go to whatever podcasting situation you use, iTunes, Google Play, and subscribe to Science Versus. It's Science VS. And if you like it, maybe you rate it.